a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. He's tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in. And of course, we're actually rather lucky to even be here this week as industrial action has brought the country to its knees. The railway boys are out. Strikes, strikes and more strikes. Let's speak to our man with the whistle and the placard who joins us live from a picket line in Upper Dicker. He is the green entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. Dale, morning. Yeah, morning, Ian. But where on earth is Upper Dicker? I don't, I've never known where Upper Dicker is. Well, you know, it's, it's an place. actual place. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah. It's, uh, wow. There's a place called Pratt's Bottom as well. Huh? That's not too far from me, apparently. <laughs> So I'm told. Uh, it's It's been an interesting couple of weeks for you. I mean, we'll come on to the, the, the kind of climate conference in a second, but only yesterday you were giving it large, as the phrase goes, at the Energy Audit Committee at the House of Commons. Yeah, I managed to uh, get to London and back on a, a bit of a crazy day to try and do that. But to give evidence in person, much better than uh, via Zoom, the Environment Audit Committee looking into energy security, uh, they asked me about a week ago, I don't know if it was partly uh, because of the green gas story that we put out or whatever it was, but, uh, well, I had a good time there, actually. I, I got to say about 80% of everything I could think of saying. That's good. Well, let's have a little listen. We need 1% of our land area, just 1%. So often people say we don't have the room for it. We easily have the room. 75% of our country today is used by farming. And as our diets change to get to zero carbon, which we need to do, the Climate Change Committee have made that clear, as of other experts, we just need a, a small percentage reduction in animal agriculture to make room for renewable energy. Only 1% though. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we crunched the numbers after I read a story from Germany, actually. Uh, one of the coalition government partners in Germany had uh, crunched the numbers for Germany and said, look, we just need 1% of our land. I thought that's a great perspective to offer yeah. people because often we're, we're hearing from skeptics that, oh, we don't have enough room. Will it be overrun and blah, blah, blah. Crunch the numbers for Britain. Hey, you've got the same answer, 1% of the land. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. What were the MPs uh, like? Have, have you done one of those committees before? Because they can sometimes be brutal, and other times they're quite onside, and sometimes it's the people you don't expect to be onside or onside. I'd say it was a mixed bag. You know, there were there were moments when the whole committee were nodding when I said something. Like, I think that was about planning, for example. I said, look, you know, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to build, somebody objects, and they all nodded. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's fine. And then there was uh, somebody that um, was on your radio show recently. I hadn't twigged who he was. James Gray, his name is. He's an MP. He was kind of, uh, right. say, on the dark side of the committee, the skeptic, yeah, yeah. The, the guy that wanted to be negative. And then Did you were, bring him round? I might have slapped him. I don't know. Uh, verbally, obviously. <laughs> verbally, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we had a little uh, exchange about commodity markets. I just, as part of what I was saying, and I did say a lot, said that, uh, you know, the commodity markets are openly rigged by the cartels like OPEC to fix the price of oil and gas. And uh, he was like, 
did you say that? And I'm like, well, yeah, because that, you know, that's a fact. And he's like, no, no, it's about supply and demand. And so we got into a conversation about how commodity markets work and how the price spikes of this winter were not about any uh, practical issues, not about the cost of production. There is no shortage of fossil fuels in the world, that kind of stuff. Um, it's about speculators in the energy market. And he couldn't get his head around it. It's like, no, no, surely it's about supply and demand. And then, no, it's not. It's about speculators, non-physical players, people that are gambling on commodity markets. And um, so we had that little exchange. Yeah. And he was very skeptical about green gas as well about its potential, um, whether there's enough land, you know, he said, oh, it can't be possible, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, and then there was Caroline Lucas on the other side of the committee room and a couple of other people, I don't know who they were, uh, but they gave me a great chance to speak and um, sat next to me was a guy from the fracking industry. That was quite amusing. We had a chat on the way out. He's a nice Frack guy. Frack face was there. <laughs> I think his name was Charles, uh, actually, but, uh, you know, we had a good chat on the way out. And What's really interesting is the the fracking industry are looking at ways to use the fracking sites where they've drilled holes a couple, three kilometers in some cases deep. Uh, in the event that the moratorium does not get lifted, they're thinking of repurposing them to tap underground heat and doing some kind of renewable energy stuff with them, which I thought was like super cool. We're actually looking at a project just like that uh, this week. So uh, that was good timing. The fracking fella did a U-turn, are you saying? Well, no, his, his evidence was all about, look, we've got a trillion barrels or cubic digits, whatever, of, of gas under, under Britain, and it'll last 500 years. I mean, that, that was essentially his evidence. And then he said, well, let's call it 50 to play safe. And you think, well, that yeah. Was a, that was a, a change around, wasn't it? <laughs> That's right. Just how ro robust is this data, actually? Yeah, I mean, show you how, how random. Well, look, okay, we'll call it 50. You know, it's not, you're not distributing peanuts amongst plates at a bar. Yeah, because he said that when, when I, I didn't, well, I, I kind of did interrupt. I just said to him, well, how long is it going to last? He was, he was talking about how fracking is super energy dense. You know, you can get the output of like a million windmills from one fracking site or something like that. I'm exaggerating. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, how long is it going to last? And then he came up with that answer. And, and then Caroline Lucas kind of pursued the, the line of uh, debate really about, you know, can we afford to burn this stuff? And. He quoted a whole bunch of scenarios from the Climate Change Committee uh, that suggest, you know, we've got a bit of headroom. We can still burn some more stuff. And I was thinking about it in the car coming in this morning. You know, that's a, it's, a, it's a foolish way to look at it. What can we get away with? We should be putting all of our efforts into the transition now. Stop exploring uh, for new sources of gas under the ground or under the North Sea. I mean, for God's sake, never open a new coal mine uh, and actually put all of our efforts into the transition. As I said to the committee, every pound we spend now and every day we spend now pursuing fossil fuels is wasted. Yeah. Uh, let's do a question here. This comes from Dina on Twitter, which does feed into what we we're going to talk about anyway. Did you get lost in Austria? What happened to the podcast last week? Yeah, I didn't get lost, but I actually had a train problem on the way back, slowed me down by a couple of days, but I just rolled with it, spent some time in Frankfurt. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the, the, I thought the trains across Europe were fantastic, but... Um, I got dumped at the wrong train station. <laughs> there was no announcement, or if there was, I didn't understand it to say, actually, this train's not going where we said it was going. It's going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And so missed a connection. So do you know what? Not, not for the first time in your life, Dale. You found oh, no. yourself thinking, how do I get home? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, not the first time. And, uh, and it was fun. Fantastic. Tell us a bit about the conference then. Yeah, the conference was fun. Arnie was a no-show, which is a big disappointment. They told me the night before he had to exist in a COVID bubble in Canada. Um, he's filming with Netflix. Something happened. They got twitchy, uh, wouldn't let him leave. 
and uh, he, he appeared by screen at the start of the event. I had a good session with an American TV presenter called Matt. Uh, talked about Forest Green and how we communicate yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, let's, I mean, on that point, let's have a little listen to Matt, who was quite incredulous at the idea that there's such a thing as a vegan football club. The Forest Green Rovers, a vegan football club? Is that true? That is true. Now, in America, we picture football players, American football players, we picture the training table, meat, potatoes. How do you get a club, high-performance club, to not just go vegan, but to say our performance won't suffer from it? Yeah, we, we just had a very simple conversation with our players uh, back in 2010, so a long time ago now, and we said, look, uh, serious athletes don't eat red meat, right, because it impairs performance. That was a matter of fact back then. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he, you know, he talked about the food being laid out for soccer players, you know, being meat and potatoes and all the rest yeah. of it, and you were, yeah. you were kind of able to correct that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was a fun guy actually, and uh, and it was. Yeah, I mean, I just enjoyed it. It was worth going for that. But I also met some really interesting people. I met a guy who's like the environment minister for the city of Vienna, and uh, he was telling me what they're up to. They're building apparently the world's biggest heat pump to take heat from a water treatment project. So when the clean water comes out the back end of the sewage works, it's apparently 10 degrees above the ambience, and they're going to strip that heat out with a heat pump and stick it into a district heating system and. I mean, uh, Austria is not a big place, right? A couple of million people, right? but they're, they're well on the path to getting to uh, be a zero carbon economy. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, and on a related note, Australia. Now, we've, you know, they've been under our spotlight quite a bit down under. You know, these are the guys that would frack a koala bear's arse if they could. And yet, uh, it seems everything is, is changing down under. They're getting real on climate change. Yeah, I mean, they've just had what I very much hope we will have, which is a game-changing election. And they dumped the, the right-wing government, uh, brought in uh, something a bit more left-wing, left-field. And, um, you know, there's every chance now that they'll get serious about climate change, renewable energy, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I hope it happens here. We're maybe a year, 18 months away from finding out. But we desperately need a government that gets it. You know, I mean, this, this government are a disaster. It's kind of interesting because when I talk to – a lot of the callers on the radio who would have been natural conservative voters are no longer conservative voters. Or some of them say they're not going to be conservative voters because of the Tories' fascination with green, net zero <laughs> and the environment. So how, how would you respond to that? Because you have the very opposite view of what is yeah, happening. With a chuckle, like I just did. Cause, I mean, yeah. that's so funny, right? There's, I'm not alone in thinking the Tories are a disaster on the on green stuff. You know, they, they talk a good game but do nothing. And yet you have a whole bunch of Tory voters uh, and Tory people that, that think it's, it's dominating the agenda. I mean, yeah, my yeah. God, you know. In, in well, a big way. What have, what have they actually done? This one comes from James, who says, a long-time customer, I want to give you a chance to respond to George Mombiot calling your green gas plans dangerous. Why are you pressing ahead? Well, it's good that James is giving you the chance to respond to that, firstly. Uh, we did invite George, of course, onto the when you came on the radio with us uh, a week or so back, Dale, and talked about the, the green gas plan. As you know, we invited George to come on, and he said he was too busy. I don't know what he was, clipping his toenails or something, but he, he wasn't able to join us on the debate. When he says your plan is dangerous, what, what is he referring to? It is, uh, it is good of James to give me the chance to respond. That's more than George gave me, right? Because sure. we reached out to him at the beginning when he called me ecologically illiterate. We were like, George, what's up? Let's have a chat. Nah, too busy. 
as you say. And then he's a bit later on Twitter saying, I've refused to engage with everyone. And I'm like, George, like, you know, I haven't turned anybody away and I actually asked to engage with you and you refused. And um, we asked him to engage with you. And he refused. And, refused. and then so. there's other people on Twitter saying, look, why don't you guys take this offline? You can have a better discussion when you're not limited by, I don't know, 124 characters on Twitter or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, nah, it's more accountable on Twitter. I don't want to have a meeting behind closed doors. I'm like, what? Wow. What? And, and I'm, I'm thinking this man is meant to be a journalist, right? Driven by data and facts. And all I'm getting from him is hyperbole. He talks about how it'd be a disaster, how we're sending in the bulldozers. We're capitalists, no better than BP and Shell. And I'm like, George, what is it that, that's bothering you? Tell me, give me something. And I actually have nothing. And so, you know, I would love to respond today to what his concerns are, but I don't know what the fuck they are. <laughs> and well, let, let's put up that open invitation now for him to join us on the podcast. And, yeah. you know, just discuss it. You're not looking for a row. You're looking for a, a conversation. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, we launched a report into what's possible with green gas. That's how we see it. We commissioned Imperial College consultants to, to look at land use and gas grid, all kinds of constraints and issues and calculate economic benefit and do that kind of big picture stuff. And we put it out there to say, look, this is possible. And George calls it a plan to like, you know, destroy the country and send in the bulldozers and, and, and kind of wreck biodiversity. And we're like, well, you know, we can't see it that way because we're, what we're going to do is use grassland to grow grass. Right. So that's not a big change of use, is it? We're actually going to introduce uh, a mixed species of uh, herbal lays and, and different kind of grass plants that will nitrogen fix and improve the soil fertility and actually create better habitats than grassland now. Um, so, you know, all of the work we have done looking at uh, biodiversity issues says this will be better. But we have a vacuum facing us from George Monbiot, a vacuum of information as to where he thinks we're going wrong. Let's look at America. Uh, US could run out of mustard because of climate change. They love a bit of mustard stateside. It goes with the, the hot dogs, of course. I was going to say, they're going to run out of hot dogs first, I hope. Yeah, maybe. Maybe <laughs> that's true. So what's going on here? Running? Why mustard? Don't know. I didn't read it. <laughs> well, I'm here to impart the devastating news that mustard is going to be blighted as a result of climate change. Oh, the mustard plant itself. Yeah, I guess that's the, the, the yeah. drought and heat waves, of course, yeah. are behind it. One of the key mustard seed growing regions has reduced the harvest, creating a dearth of supplies. So Don't tell George, he'll say that's my fault. Yeah, I think that's you with your green, your green ideas. Yeah. Uh, Neil on Facebook says, let us know your thoughts on Forest Green Rovers fixtures, please, on the next podcast. Dale, uh, they were announced yesterday, of course, at nine o'clock. Who's your first game? Ah, I've just seen them this morning. Our first game is uh, Bristol Rovers away. Doddle. Uh, you know, <laughs> Doddle, yeah. <laughs> the, the scene of our promotion, actually, where we got the one point we needed to secure yeah, promotion yeah. last year. And, you know, they're nice people there. Not all the fans are nice, of course, but, uh, you know, a lot of them are. And then we've got first home game is Ipswich Town. My God, that's going to be, a you know, I mean, that'll be a sellout away crowd. They, they have huge uh, following. Uh, but it's a bit disappointing that our last game of the season is away as well as our first game of the season. You know, it's kind of like, it always seems unbalanced when that happens, you know? Yeah. I, I guess, is there a way to appease every club in that respect? There should be, shouldn't there? Yeah, there should be. There should be. Because if this is happening to us, it means one of the clubs in our league is at home on the first and the last game of the season. So, yes, which that's is, true. Which is a gift, right? And when you you want that last game, for, for promotion purposes, to be at home, because yeah. that will surely be the headline of that day. 
Yeah, well, the first game for kickoff purposes, especially when you've just moved into a new league. You know, it's nice yeah. to start with a home game, big crowd, and here we go. But you listen, I'm not complaining. Uh, I'll do that to the EFL. <laughs> Give us the date. What's, what's the date of that first match? That's July the 30th. Wow. Is that coming earlier? Yeah, like we're talking five weeks. Yeah, it is early weeks. because of, yeah, it's been brought forward because of the World Cup uh, in uh, Qatar. That would make sense. Yes, of course it would because of the World Cup uh, in the winter, but in the winter, winter there. No. Very hot. Uh, <laughs> and slightly controversial, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, and here's a, just a final story before we go to a final question as well. Uh, two women who glued themselves to a table during a council meeting will not be charged by police. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, it's the story of Giovanna Lewis and Annie Webster, self-styled grannies for the future, were described as anarchists by Dorset Council's leader, Spencer Flower. I kid you not. During the protest, they berated the council for its lack of action on climate change. Yeah. Well, fair enough, right? And um, I mean, that's not a violent protest, or I mean, it's not. It's not even madly anarchistic, is it? I mean, it's just a. It's just a protest. Or I mean, what's up with yeah, Mister or Mrs. Flower? Spencer Flower was not yeah. happy. He, I think called the old Bill or something. I'm kind of divided on this issue of super gluing yourself to stuff, mainly because it must bloody hurt when you yeah. have to remove it. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy it myself. I don't know how they. Um, I don't know how they do detach people, but I think the police by now have probably like you know got a well-oiled machine for that kind of thing. I think they have a super glue detachment compound. <laughs> yeah. that sits next to their pepper spray. <laughs> <laughs> Don't confuse the two, officer, please. That wouldn't be good. Uh, Lee says, is that a canoe I see on Instagram, Dale? Have you got a new hobby? What's going on here? Yeah, I did. Uh, I took a paddle up a river one night last week. No, this week. And uh, stuck it on Instagram. It's a nice picture. And yeah, there's there's a front of a canoe in my feet in that picture, along with a great sunset and a bit of river. New hobby? Nah, not really. But uh, it's something I'd want to do for a long time, actually, go canoeing. So I just I went out and had a paddle. How was it? Oh, it's great. So peaceful. There was only me there and the birds. That's and the nice. Fish. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, done a drop of canoeing myself. I'm, I'm quite a fan of the canoe. Ah. Uh-huh. I did some rapids once and frightened the bloody life out of me. <laughs> I bet. That's, yeah. a, that's a faster thing than you actually, than it looks. Uh, yeah. Slightly scarier than it looks, but it's you'd... a delight to take part in. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I like to get scared. That's fun. Final one. You ready for a joke? Oh, yeah. Always. Here it is. There's a relevance to this. Uh, I called my local pizza store and ordered a thin and crusty Supreme, and they sent me Diana Ross. Now, there's a a reason for that, because, of course, Diana Ross is headlining one of the headlines at Glastonbury. Yep. And you were hoping to be able to leg it to the Mighty Festival this weekend. Yes, I am. Is it happening? I'm not really sure yet. It's not definitely not, and not definitely is still in the middle somewhere in limbo yeah is it diana ross you're waiting for confirmation that she will appear i know you're a <laughs> massive fan yeah um, uh no. old piano and all that yeah no she, uh, great songs i think i've seen her once uh yeah. on a you know like one of them farewell tours that never really were quite a farewell tour <laughs> farewell tour in 1978 <laughs> it was a long time ago actually <laughs> <laughs> But she's back. Uh, there are some great acts. And, of course, you know, uh, the, the key, as, as you know, of uh, any big festival, yes, it's nice to have the big names and the big headlines, but some of the some of the more interesting stuff is often on smaller stages and tents and the like. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, good fringy stuff going on, as in any big event. And, I mean... Um, Glasto's okay, but it ain't no WOMAD, right? 
Oh, I, you know what? I've been a Glastonbury since the early '90s, so I probably couldn't say. Yeah. Uh, but way mad, yeah, I love it. Glasto is still a field covered in shit, so just prepare for that. Is it? <laughs> well, if it rains, because that's what happens, isn't it? It yeah. always rains at Glastonbury. Oh, and it's forecast to rain. Yeah, I think so. Uh, shame in it after all them years of waiting to have. I think it's the fiftieth uh, anniversary as well. That's right. Yeah. I went to Glastonbury like in this, I think it was uh, late 70s when it was a green gathering at Pilton. And okay. there was like, I don't know, a small field, maybe 100 people, a whole bunch of naked hippies wandering around, teepees, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Got busted by the police on the way out for nothing. To find your you way know, home again. For, for nothing, just for looking, you know, <laughs> looking <laughs> unusual. Like, yeah, yeah, a bit unusual. We'll have him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where's my pepper spray? Oh, no, you've got the super glue stuff out again. There you go. How do we see in the House of Commons, actually? Yeah, like, I was being passed from one place to another, making my way through this enormous building. It was all part of their plan. And the last person said to me, go along there and up the stairs. So I'm going up the stairs, and um, I belatedly hear this, excuse me, excuse me, voice, and thought, oh, maybe he's talking to me. And I look around, and there's this uh, copper security guy's like, can I help you? You know, that tone of voice that means anything but he actually really wants to help me, you know. And <laughs> like, like means more like, what the fuck are you doing there? Where are you yeah. going? And I said, <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, uh, well, actually, I don't know if you can or you can't. I'm just off to room 15. And he said, oh, well, that's up there. And I said to him, looking at him, that much I know. <laughs> and we exchanged looks and walked away. <laughs> the last you saw of him. Fantastic. Yeah. Dale, have a good week. We'll speak next week. Yep. See you in. And don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well. Get in touch, zero carbonista at ecotricity.co.uk and follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash Dale Vince or facebook.com slash Dale Vince. Zero carbon east off.